I think that being aware that there are multiple options and life paths is really liberating for people for the people at the crossroads, right? Because mm-hmm. it feels so high stakes to say either I'm going to leave the faith that I love and all the people that I love and my eternal salvation for this this possibility of a relationship, or I'm going to keep all of this and be miserable and never have companionship and all of these things. I, I think people tend to dichotomize and really uh, make it the worst case scenario. And so having different options gives people some space to figure things out. It's What's been a, really cool has been to hear so many people saying, look at me, like I'm also doing this and I'm doing this in a way that you're not catching or categorizing. And from that, I'm really understanding that peop- a lot of people have found really idiosyncratic ways to make their lives work that don't fit in any of these boxes. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another fabulous episode of This Week in Mormons, our 492nd episode, no less. Thank you to those of you who are listening. If you're new, hey, we're glad you're here. My name is Jeff Openshaw. I'm your master of ceremonies most weeks. Uh, If you're a longtime listener, we have special love for you. Thank you very much. And also, if you want to support the show on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash This Week in Mormons, you can pledge a dollar or two a month. And that just helps us, you know, pay for stuff to make all these great episodes. And this week's episode is very, very interesting. Uh, Are LGBT Latter-day Saints inherently happier if they remain in the church? Now, we could think the answer is obvious, right? We could we could say, you know, if you keep the commandments, if you go to church, you are happier. That is what fulfills you. And that's a fair perspective. But if we can set that aside a little bit and think about temporal happiness and fulfillment, uh, what is best psychologically or emotionally for LGBT Latter-day Saints, at the very least in their mortal life, we might have different answers. And that is why this week we are going to interview Tyler Lefevre. Uh, Tyler is an assistant professor of psychology at Utah State University. His work focuses on understanding how religion, sexuality, and gender intersect to influence health, uh, particularly among LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. He's partnered with researchers across the religious belief and sexuality spectrum to develop a sounder understanding of what LGBT individuals within the church experience and what we might expect them to experience in the future. Uh, We're also joined this week by Kurt Frankham of Leading Saints, and Kurt brings a wonderful and healthy perspective on the leadership side of this coin. How do leaders respond to these situations? If you have a member of your uh, ward who identifies as LGBTQ, saying that they might think they need to leave the church, the gut impulse is, you know, keep, keep the members of my flock here in the church. But is that the exact correct answer? We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, Kurt's also hosting a summit uh, for LGBT saints starting next week. So we'll get you more information about that. But without further ado, let us start our interview with Tyler the Fever. So we are thrilled to be joined this week. We've had a bevy of wonderful interviews this week, and uh, we are joined by Tyler Lefevre, who's an assistant <laughs> professor of psychology at Utah State University. Tyler, how are you doing, buddy? Doing well. Thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. It's really great for you to join us. And we'll let Tyler pitch it, but he's recruiting participants for a survey. This is not just like a little survey. This is actually a pretty big undertaking, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit, but you can go to www.number4optionssurvey.com. So Tyler is here in the Twim Chambers, the Twim Cave, and Kurt's here too. Hi, Kurt. Hey, I'm here in the corner. I, I just... am the absolute worst <laughs> at making sure my co-interviewers. That's right, Jeff. The recognition. We know you're the captain of the ship. I'm not. So I'm not. It's by default. It's like <laughs> it's just straight up. I'm the only one left, and that's just that's it. I'm the only one rowing. Anyway, so Tyler, like, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Why are you yeah. here? Tell us everything. Yeah, so excited to be here. I uh, just moved to Utah a couple months ago. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Welcome, Tyler. We're glad I'll to leave, have you. Leave my own opinions are still being formed. We're trying to be open for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I am uh, assistant professor at Utah State, like you mentioned. I think a lot about LGBTQ or same-sex attracted Mormons. I, I grew up Mormon myself. I resigned formally a couple of years ago, but I still consider myself Mormon, at least culturally. Mm-hmm. 
I am identify as queer. I have a partner, we're engaged, uh, lots of happiness there. And then I spend a lot of my time reading, thinking, writing about the different ways that LGBTQ Mormons find happiness and satisfaction. It's just become really clear to me that everyone kind of does this thing differently, but it's often not understood very well, especially from the outside. So do, there. so do you think you like, do you study satisfaction in particular because the church has been evolving so much on LGBTQ issues that it also, it sometimes could be confusing or unclear as far as like the path ahead? Yeah. Or the choices that, that, that gay and queer Latter-day Saints have before them? Yeah, I guess we, we started with satisfaction and then added health. Those are the two big outcomes. But I, I think they kind of capture different aspects of what a positive thing is, right? Because I could be satisfied and it could be unhealthy, but it's still going to mm-hmm. be what I want to do. Uh, and it could be healthy, um, but I might not be satisfied. And so mm-hmm. I think satis- satisfaction is more subjective. This is me. This really embodies who I am and health as more objective. And I think actually typically my work has found that they go in the same direction, but the nuance can be helpful for some people sometimes. And when you refer to health, uh, you're primarily focused on mental health or is that accurate? Yeah, mostly mental. We look, gosh, this new survey has got it all. It's got suicidality, substance use, physical health, um, sexual mm. health, but you, most often mental. Yeah. So uh, one thing you've talked about in a lot of your work are there are, f- you say there are four options for uh, sexual and gender minority Mormons, right? I think that's a big yeah. finding that you've come out with. Can you tell us about that? What does that mean? What are these options? Yeah, yeah. When we, uh, so I work with a collaborative team that are, that's pretty intentionally sociopolitically diverse. So we've got uh, a number of us that were conservative, uh, LDS affiliated, temple recommend holders, others that grew up LDS like myself and are no longer, or who were never LDS. And same with the sexuality spectrum. So one of our initial tasks as a team was to figure out how is it, what are the different ways that LGBTQ Mormons are navigating their sexuality or gender and faith? And we came up with four, predom- four predominant ways, although there, in actuality, there are many more. Uh, the first being uh, being single and celibate. Uh, typically, these are people who are still pretty tied to the LDS church. They say, look, I can't really do the heterosexual relationship kind of thing. And my faith matters more to me than having a same-sex sexual relationship. So my life path is going to be a celibate life path. Next, we have people who are single but not celibate. And so in some ways similar, but more left-leaning, often are saying, look, what matters to me is a same-sex relationship. I'm kind of on the hunt uh, for that. I may still be involved with the church, may not be, but the prioritization there is on pursuing same-sex relationships. Then we have the third option is people in mixed orientation relationships. So this is the idea that one partner is experiencing some degree of same-sex attraction and the other probably isn't. And most often it ends up being a man who's same-sex attracted, gay or queer, and then a woman who's straight, though certainly other configurations exist. And people in mixed orientation relationships, uh, at least the LGBTQ members, seem to say, look, I am mostly attracted to the same sex, but I'm attracted to my partner and this relationship works for me. Tend to be aligned with the LDS church philosophically and uh, at least working toward living its principles. And the last group are people in same sex relationships. And so these are uh, people who seem to say what matters most is having a same-sex relationship. Although some are still connected with the LDS church, most are not, um, or at least are not particularly active. And then also variations in terms of marital status, whether they're partnered or married or wherever they are on the spectrum. And do you find that like these four options are similar to anybody in a Orthodox uh, uh, faith religion, religious journey? Uh, or is, yeah. there, is there anything that's specific about the Latter-day Saint experience? Not really. I guess if what you're saying, Kurt, if we kind of include other pretty conservative, like um, I haven't found a good word for it, worldview t- 
totalizing religions. Yeah. Religions in which my religious practice... totalizing. Sorry, like <laughs> Word of the day. <laughs> but I think of uh, like Islam or Orthodox Judaism or maybe Southern Baptists in the same camp as Mormons. And so I don't think, I think all four of those religious worldviews would have similar options. Nothing particularly Mormon about these. Now, do you feel like any one of these, these four options, I mean, obviously they have a lot of, there's, they're different. There's broad appeal for each one. I mean, is there anyone that you find is when we're talking about issues of, of health, like we mentioned, yeah. well-being, are any of those better or worse? Uh, and in particular, like for our audience, which is largely, largely composed of sort of in it, Latter-day Saints, I would say. Kurt might disagree based on my political views, but yes, but in it. We're praying Latter-day for you, Jeff. Thank you, buddy. Um, <laughs> like, do you feel like there, there are better or worse options? Like, it's yeah. funny you brought up the one where someone, like you said, gay men might still marry a woman. I remember we had, you know, Josh Weed a couple of years ago, a name you probably know. I know Kurt knows. And even this week, I saw another story that uh, hit the press about a similar situation, which I, I, that's just one example of it, but I can't imagine that's an easy choice to make. Yeah, initially we, some of the original literature in LGBTQ Mormons was done by John DeLynn. And he was really looking to answer the, this question of who wins, which of all of the options is the best. Mm-hmm. And we, we ask that and we follow it up with what are the like risks and benefits of each. I, I think of at least my work coming from more of an informed consent model than a let's find the best way and push everyone in that way. Because I don't, I don't think you can push anyone in any of the four. So with that caveat, I'll answer your question. Okay. Because we did, in our initial survey results, we found that people who were partnered tended to be healthier than people who were not. And people in same-sex relationships reported slightly more help than people in mixed orientation relationships. But the biggest gap was between people in relationships and the people who were single. We dug a little deeper to try and understand it and looked at kind of the variables that explained the health in each of the options and found that the variable that was most closely linked to health was meeting needs for connection, intimacy, and mutual understanding. And so if you step back and think about it, if I'm in any sort of relationship, I'm much, much more likely to meet my needs for connection, intimacy, and mutual understanding than I am if I'm single. So the takeaway for me is that if I'm single, then I need to be particularly attuned to making sure I'm meeting these needs for connection, intimacy, and mutual understanding that might not be met for me based on the way that I've already structured my life. And then like walking into a research study like this, uh, typically, like you mentioned earlier, there's sort of two camps, like the the Orthodox camp who's sort of saying, well, of course, they'll find out that the, the camp that choose to stay in the church and, you know, uh, stay in the gospel and covenants that they'll definitely have a more satisfied, healthy life. And then the other camp who's saying, well, no, they, the, this, these individuals that, uh, you know, are in same sex relationship, that's where the true happiness and health will be found. And so you, you really are approaching this saying, listen, we're going to remove any premise from, from our assumptions, uh, from in the beginning and just see, see what we get. Right. Yeah. I, I feel really committed to, understanding why each of the options can work because my my personal truth is that I know people in each of the options that seem to be living happy flourishing lives and so I both want to understand why they each work and then understand broad health comparisons because that's I think also important for someone who's just exploring options Um, but yeah you're exactly right Kurt people seem to find what they're looking for and what's been interesting for us is that when we've certain variables perform differently based on which option you're in. So people who are in the more conservative LDS options seem to be benefited by engagement with the LDS church, right? So if I am single and celibate or in a mixed orientation relationship, going to church is going to be more, is going to be positively linked to health where it seems to be flipped for people in the less religious options. It may make some sense, but I, my emerging theory has become more of a like two camps model that is about what matters is that you feel supported and that you have people that are on your team and you can find support in the LGBTQ community and many people do and live really thriving lives there or you can find support in an LDS community but what matters is that you've shared who you are and found people in your community who will stand by you and honor the path that you're choosing. 
I'm still working feel, on data to support it, but that's the initial. Yeah. Do, do you feel like, at least within the church, that you, do you feel like you see that happening more, at least, especially like both culturally, I'd say within the, the lay membership, we're all lay membership, but you know, <laughs> with that, and then also within leaders, do you think that's improving, at least in terms of being more empathetic, of being uh, an advocate, even though I know we don't have it all figured out as a church <laughs> on this level, but do you think it's improving? Yeah, what I the thing I've seen improve most is that I think more people are open about being LGBTQ and active Mormon in a way that they weren't so open 10 or 20 years ago. I my my experience has been that most LGBTQ Mormons end up leaving the church. And, I, and the people I see seem to still arc out, but I think that there are many people who are still who are arcing in and are finding havens. Uh, they're finding either a more affirming ward. So there, I went to church in San Francisco for a while and being gay was just not a big issue there. Or they're making more space within their wards or branches where they are. Leaders are more open to at least understanding. I think a lot of leaders still don't know what to do, but I think we're moving into a space where they're saying, okay, I know my role is not to tell you to go marry someone of another sex, but to try and figure out a way to help support you to stay here. And so leaders, I think, are trying a little bit more. Yeah, and, and I'm curious to know, like, in, in this research, and maybe this wasn't a part of it, but uh, did it reveal, like, the quality of support in each one of those experiences? Because I would I would guess that the quality of support, maybe somebody trying to stay within the church, isn't as overwhelming or available, and it's sort of that that bishop roulette right or the leadership roulette that if you get a really good bishop the church the church is the same everywhere (laughs) (laughs) right so we're in the you know those that that lead the church and and maybe are are seeking uh, proactively a same-sex relationship you know that's maybe they're much more proactive in accepting because there's not necessarily you know these commandments or rules or things that they're also trying to stay within so did it reveal any of that or is that not part of the study yeah not we didn't look at quite the nuanced level that I would like to have to answer your question. I think uh, we looked at support more generally and saw that people seem to get support from one place or the other, but we didn't, we weren't able to see church leader support specifically. Um, I do think that for a lot of LGBTQ Mormons who stay within the church, their support is often not necessarily their church leader, but their like church support is our, other people within the church that might be part of North Star or part of their wards or just friends who are who share their Mormon identity and say, look, I see you as a Mormon and I see you as an LGBTQ person. And that's cool. Yeah. Yes, because I wonder that maybe the research would come out and show like, oh, see, like people are actually more happy outside of the church, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that path is the reason for that more, more of like, well, the support's just, we don't know how to give the support and that's why it isn't not that it's not a viable option. Right. Yeah. What, what actually has seemed really clear though, is that leaving the church is bad. So being outside of the church is okay, but leaving the church is bad and mm-hmm. being in the church can be okay. But this like crossroad space tends yeah. to where people have the worst health. Um, we looked at, church attendance and we looked at people who attended every week um and then like gradations like once a month a few times a year to never people every week and never were okay people like in the middle not so okay which really makes sense because it's probably indicating either that i'm trying to do the lds thing and i'm failing like i'm not making it or that i feel conflicted and so i'm like going and then i'm not going and then i'm going and then i'm not going yeah. Yeah. You're being tugged in all ways. I mean, it's, it's naturally, it's the most stressful because you don't know where you're planted. Right. Exactly. So, so it just wears on people. And I think we, I mean, we see that a lot. Like when I, I, I can't help but for some reason we have this discussion, I think of BYU a lot, I think probably because it's because of its evolving policies regarding LGBTQ uh, uh, students at the university. I mean, when I was there, you know, it was the classic thing. And then since then, in the many years since I graduated, you know, first they said, okay, you can, be gay at BYU. You can't be like practicing for lack of a better <laughs> term, but you could be gay at BYU. Um, and then they've evolved a little bit on it. And then a few months ago, we had that became a debacle when I, mm. I, I don't know if you saw this, Tyler, you know, when they, up, yeah. they, they sort of briefly updated the honor code and took out anything that said that that displays 
of homosexual behavior were inappropriate. And everyone said, whoa, church is getting all like, okay about it. Like they're not saying break the law of chastity, but they're defining something. And then they, then they pulled it back. Um, what it really makes me wonder is like in your experience and, and be as personal as you want or don't be, I'm not trying to pry, but like how hard it is to find that line. Cause I feel like as a church, we are trying to find a place where we say you can be a gay member and they can say, you know, as long as you keep the law of chastity, like that's okay because straight people have to do the same thing. But at the same time, does that mean if you're a gay member who can you still just date? I mean, you, you might be saying like, I, I understand I can't get married in the church and I get all that, but like, can I, can I date? Can I hold hands with someone? Can I make out with someone as long as it's not crossing a line like anybody else would? Because I don't personally feel like we've seen, I think that gray area still exists and I don't know that yeah. I've seen it defined. So I'd be curious what your, if you have insights from your studies and even just your own personal insights on it. Yeah, not a lot from my studies, but for myself. And I also have a private practice. I'm a licensed psychologist in Tennessee and Utah. So I've seen clients do some different things, but I, I, I've walked all of the four different options. Uh, I guess I never got married, but uh, was in long-term relationships with both men and women. And I, I found myself in the gray a lot, a lot of the time. I spent some time being celibate and saying, look, just not dating. But then that stopped working for me. The idea of like closing myself off to connection made me really depressed. And so I'm like, okay, well, I can't close myself off. And so I got, gosh, it was maybe three or so years that I dated men while being active. And I had some strong sexual lines with my first boyfriend that we just didn't cross. And then that, shi- that shifted with my second boyfriend. I kind of shifted the way that I thought of things. And we had sex, but I still went to church and he would come with me to church. And eventually I left the church, but more because it conveyed more clearly where I sat with where I wanted to go with my life than, in, than because I felt uncomfortable or angry or anything about any of the doctrines. But I, when I work with clients, I, I like to think of it as you need to find a way to honor what's going on for you. And uh, so to honor the attraction. So if you're trying to do an LDS path, the the end goal can't be to just pretend that you're not experiencing same-sex attraction. That that absolutely won't work. Um, You can maybe find a a path that involves acknowledging same-sex attraction without having sex. I think that's possible, but it needs to be, honoring that the attraction is motivating you to connect, to build relationships, to build intimacy. But I don't know. Yeah. And, and so with this research, like you talk about those, those, the crossroads area, sort of that time when individuals sort of have a foot in both in the, in the religious life and the, the same sex life uh, or same sex relations life. Um, if that's where the, the lower health is, is measured, is it, like shouldn't an individual sort of run one to one extreme or the other? Like, listen, you really have two choices or else you're not going to be, you really got to be super Mormon. Why are there four and, options, Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, because that, or, yeah. cause I can see like from a leadership standpoint, I'm thinking, well, okay. I like it, for you to be mentally stable and, and find somewhat level of happiness and satisfaction, like either like we got a great plan here in the church and we're here to support you, whatever. But if you run the other way too, I just want you to be happy and, and, and healthy yeah. and, and so forth. So is this the, I mean, is this one of the applications from that? <laughs> uh, I feel too scared to say yes. So okay. I'm going to hedge a lot. Okay, um, sure. Well, I, I mean, that's how, yeah. a, that's how I see it. But anyways. Yeah. I, the, I guess the one piece of pushback is that I think it takes people a while to figure it out. Right. And with my therapist hat on, I often tell people, I want you to go have experiences. Like I want you to go on dates with people of the same sex. I want you to look at same sex porn. I want you to go to church. I want you to fast. I want you to do it all. And I want you to understand what's going to fit for you. And I, cause I think if only if you have experiences, then you can understand and sort yourself by the reactions you have to your experiences uh, so that you can feel more confident in one direction or the other. Yeah. I think most people do end up on one end or the other. I just, I, maybe in uh, five years, this next iteration of the survey will be the two options survey. Yeah. And and maybe from somebody who's supporting an individual, recognizing the, that those 
two options in the middle. It's sort of a crossroads. It's a process. They're, they're figuring this out. You shouldn't rush it one way or the other, but just know that that might be the bumpy part in their personal journey. Right. And that they need uh, encouragement, whichever way they're leaning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I strongly believe is that the only one that can make the decision is the person at the crossroads. And so anyone telling them to do any of the other things is not helpful. So saying you should should do one or should do the other ends up creating less cognitive space because people feel less free to understand what's going to be best for them. Kurt, I want to ask you a question. Oh boy. If I can. Related <laughs> what just happened? What just- <laughs> um, well, I'm just thinking about the leadership side of this, like you mentioned. Like we're talking a lot, uh, I think, in very straightforward terms about what an individual feels is best for him or herself. Uh, and what what makes them happy, what makes them feel healthy. And of course, we're having that discussion, sort of removing any of the like long-term spiritual ramifications from it, right? And, and that's there's always an element of choice, whether one has faith and whether one is in the church and all sorts of things. But Kurt, from like a leader perspective, I, like you mentioned, a leader wanted to say, choose one or the other, right? Like we want to help you, we're here for you. Or if you need to distance yourself from the church, we want you to know we've got, your, we're your friend. Yeah. But how do we reconcile that with, of course, the need within the church to evangelize and save souls and bring people right. into Christ and all those things, and just while well, willfully understanding that someone needs to remove themselves from the presence of the church if they feel like that's best? Does that make sense? Yeah, what and we, I think this your is your experience with this. What do we do? sure? So I think it goes back to uh, you know we see this in in different contexts in leadership all the time, like even somebody who's maybe. Uh, going through, who's beginning to question their faith and some of the basic tenets of the gospel. Like we can either like influence them passive aggressively and say, well, just don't read that stuff, you know, do this or that. And, and really in leadership, it comes down to the question of who's really the savior. Like, is it your job to convince this individual that uh, they need to go through one path or the other, or is it your job to show love, sit with them, mourn with them that mourn. Right. And, and, don't you encourage dare quote them. Mosiah to me. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but right. And so like in sitting with an individual, this is very difficult to do as a leader. Cause you sort of feel like, Oh, I can't, I don't want to like subtly push this person away from the church. I am supposed to like, like you wouldn't want to feel like no. essentially, I hate to say it this way. Like you're complicit in. Right. Exactly. Soul, right? But yeah. I think that's where that's the messiness of leadership. And, and so many times as a bishop, I had that conversation of, wow, you're, you know, you really struggle with some things in the church and, you know, some doctrine, whatever. Like, I just want you to feel like you can come here. Like if you ever need a place to worship, reflect, like you're welcome here. Or in the context of this conversation, if, if somebody, you know, a, a, a man has a, a boyfriend, it's like, asking questions like, well, can I meet him? Like, I'm sure he's great. Right. And do, do, would, what can we do to help you feel comfortable? We'd come to the, the chili cook off, you know, and, <laughs> and, or if you want to come here and sit in the pews, I want you to know as your Bishop, I'm okay with that. Like you two come and sit and, and sing these beautiful hymns with us. Right. And, but, um, and that love in the, in the perspective, knowing that the savior will always be reaching out to them. Right. And the savior is always by their side, loving and encouraging is so, but it, it's difficult because, and that's why I think conversations like this are so important. And some other things we're doing at leading saints, because a leader really has to sit process this and get to the point of saying, Oh yeah, I'm not his savior, but I'm, but I can encourage and love and support and, and see if I can create a, a safe place so that they at least feel community and connection. Right. That's what Tyler's teaching us. They're like, that's what they need, whether they choose option the the option in the church or the option out of the church we can steal and both of those extreme options offer that connection and support does that help yes kurt it does if i can jump in on that from Please the do. perspective of someone receiving counsel there's uh, a point that if i'm ready to make up my mind one way or another that specific strong advice is only going to push me further away and mm-hmm. so having someone that says, look, I see you, I'm here with you, I am concerned about you and love you, tell me what's going on for you and how I can help, is going to help make me more open to engaging and means that I would be much more likely to react uh, to reach out to that church leader a year down the road when I needed help or whatever than if I received really strong messages of, nope, I, in order to be worthy of my love, you need to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. 
Tyler, can I ask, what, what was your experience like with leadership when you were making the choice to leave the church? Yeah, it was pretty good. I, I didn't come out until I was 25, and I was in the middle of grad school. So I was just older. I was more on my own feet. And uh, gosh, I was elders quorum president for the first three years of being out. And just like I really I did, uh, I did the church thing really hard. And then as I started stepping away, I was living in San Francisco, which was just so much uh, kinder. I talked I talk to my bishop and I'm like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. I don't really want to have a temple recommend, but I want to be here and participate. And he was great. He was like, look, we want you to be here. Um, we, I think he gave me a calling. I, he gave me a calling. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but he's like, we want you to be part for as long as you want to be part. And it was, it was really positive. When I finally decided to resign, I had moved to Memphis and I kind of resigned shortly after. So I never really connected with church leaders in Memphis, but it was also positive. I, I didn't, I guess I never really went to a church leader and asked, what should I do? I always went with the space of this is where I'm at. Um, I don't know. This is, I just want to share this with you uh, so that it's not uncomfortable between us. And I found all of my leaders to be pretty respectful. So they would sometimes ask, are you sure? And I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, let me help you do this. And my exit interview, the stake president was really clear. He's like, look, the doors are open. We're not kicking you out. I'm like, yeah. And I'm not running away screaming. It's yeah. It was a really positive experience for me. That's great. So, um, I imagine your your personal life. I can't imagine did not uh, influence your interest in the in this acad- yeah, the academic of side of this, of course. But like, what else led you down this path of pursuing in depth academic research, specifically on the health of sexual minorities who are raised LDS? Like, what took you here? Yeah, I was supposed to be a math professor. Like all growing up, that was just what I was going to do. And then I thought it was I mean, too as boring. one does. It's every every kid's dream. <laughs> Police officer, math professor. It's, uh, it's, it's okay. My print. son wants to be a paleontologist. Uh, <laughs> Him and Ross from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> if he says pivot, I'll be very happy. <laughs> so uh, once I realized that, that was going to be boring or that was not the life for me <laughs> to psychology, but like the professor piece stuck, uh, stuck mm-hmm. as did like the fascination with numbers and data. And so it was still pretty clear that being a professor was like a really good fit for the way that I think about the world. I, I, I tend to think about trends in how things work. And there, I think there's a lot of power in understanding large scale data, which is why I'm doing the research that I'm doing. But then when I came out, everything pivoted toward uh, this intersection because it consumed my life for, mm-hmm. gosh, five, six, seven years. Uh, to an extent that I wasn't ever sure I would come out of the, like, this is all that I can think about. And maybe I never did, right? This is still all that I think about. We are having this conversation today. Yeah. So, right? <laughs> um, but my experience when I was trying to navigate was one of feeling very overwhelmed, very under-resourced, and uh, very confused. And so I think it was those feelings that are really the fire underneath my research. Uh, because what I'm hoping to solve or to help people with is to feel less overwhelmed, less under-resourced, and less confused so that they can make the decisions that are best for them. Yeah. And how many uh, participants did you have in the first go-around with the study? Tell yeah. us, I, this is me just geeking out on like the back end of it. Yeah. I, once, I too once aspired to be an academic, but then I wanted to be happy. So <laughs> I did something else. Um, but I'm curious about like just the background, how you designed the study, yeah. how you got people involved, how representative the sample is, all those sorts of things. Like, yeah, the so the site that I'm talking about, we had, gosh, uh, most interesting data from about 1,750 participants that are a range of uh, religious backgrounds. From those, there were, I think it was 1,050 Mormons, LGBTQ Mormons. Uh, so I, I kind of conflated them all together in, in my dialogue. We did some studies with just the Mormon sample, some studies with the yeah, sure. religious sample. But the team that I worked with had people like Ty Mansfield and Lee Beckstead, uh, Chris Rosick, Ron Scout, and Mary Beth Rains, people all across the spectrum. 
And so I think we were pretty able to recruit effectively from North Star, from Affirmation, from both conservative and liberal circles. So when we looked at that kind of like the shakeout between the four options, we had pretty equal quarters of our sample in each of the four options. Was that deliberate? Like, did you stratify it or was it? No, you, just no, took, it was, you got a ran, random sample within that. And that's what you got. Huh? It was amazing. That's uh, yeah. What we wanted, because we want, uh, liberal academic research a tends to be liberal and so it no <laughs> thank you you see jeff what you see but it tends to marginalize the voices <laughs> of the conservative and so we're pretty deliberate about that's that's to- that's been the goal tyler <laughs> keep right. the kurtz of the world quiet okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we really want, like, part of a lot of the energy in this new survey is to make sure that we're including uh, as many people from all sides as we can, because we're following people for 10 years. We want to see what happens. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, tell us about that. I didn't let you plug it earlier. Yeah, so a 10-year study right now. 10-year study, yeah. Hopefully all of us are alive in 10 years and COVID hasn't wiped us off. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to be living on the moon. (laughs) But... We, so we want to see what happens to people over time and kind of the health impact of different ways of navigating gender, sexuality, and faith. And then, um, yeah, we're interested in if people change their trajectories and in which ways they change their like relationship option trajectories. And also what kinds of changes are just common for people to have across time. So it, do people tend to become more religious as they get older, period? Are people more likely to leave mixed orientation relationships? There's so much speculation about that, but no one's done any sort of prospective longitudinal study. And so we just, we kind of want to know and then want to see if we can understand uh, what makes people satisfied in each of these categories so that we, as therapists or people helping people, we can say, look, these are the characteristics of the people who are satisfied. Like, here you go. Go take your pick. Go figure out your life. And I would imagine uh, on the on the longer scope of of that research, because I'm curious the as far as the the permanence of each option, right? That because yeah. you hear about people who have been in the church a long time, then maybe later in life they uh, have a same sex relationship and vice versa. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see. And, and is that part of the what you, yeah. what you hope to see is the permanence yeah. or the long longevity of each? Yeah, we kind of want to know just the typical trajectories of people. Um, yeah, how do they how do they say it? and how does how do the changes affect their health? So if people do change between options, I I'm really curious if like the year the data the time point we measure them when they're changing is linked to more conflict, more depression, and then to see them like come out of that. So we'll be able to like individual growth curve trajectories so we can see how people are changing over time. And then we'll also be able to do group growth curve trajectories so we can see how groups health changes over time. Uh, So we can also look at does does celibacy have a lasting negative effect on people's lives, Hmm. for example. Yeah. And and forgive me, sorry, the the initial study where you helped establish the four options, how long did that one take compared to... Yeah, doing a ten-year study. How long was this? No, one? no, no. There was no follow-up, so it's just okay. a single time point. I think it we was just that. Okay, that four years ago. So that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I think it'll glean a lot more. Uh, that's fascinating. So with a ten-year study, is it just going to be checking in with people once every yeah. six months or a year or every year or two. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to start uh, every year. It's kind of going to be choppy because we've been start collecting data since March, and we'll keep it open through December. And so I, I imagine we'll follow up with people in January of 2022 so that people aren't taking the survey in December and then coming back in January and saying, look at what's changed. Uh, but then, yeah, every year. Or two. I'm 10 pounds heavier from Christmas. That's all <laughs> yeah. Nice. And sorry, Kurt, you were going to ask something. Yeah, I well, Taylor, I, Tyler, I have a, a, a question as far as in the context of, of four options, like the fact that there's more than two options, because I think most people. Uh, you know, so, well, th- at least in the religion, per- religious perspective, they think, well, you're either in or you're out, you either, you know, hey. figure this out inside the church or, in, you know, go elsewhere outside of the church. And maybe, and obviously, you know, I don't know as far as the, the uh, more, you know, outside the LGBT, you know, 
perspective is generally like, well, yeah, inside the church just won't work. And at some point they're all going to come around or they should, or it's just not healthy. Um, But I had an interesting discussion with a bishop uh, out in California because right now um, we are getting ready to launch through leading saints, the LGBT saints virtual summit, shameless plug. I want another shameless plug later, Jeff. I'm just saying, just saying, (laughs) but, um, and as we promote this as Bishop sort of, had the perspective like, oh, that's sort of like, as far as like staying in the church, an LGBT person staying in the church, that's sort of a Utah thing because the church is so cultural there, like in, in every aspect of our of our culture here. And so that's, but outside the church, uh, people aren't necessarily considering that. So is part of this effort, or, or do you hope people become just more aware that actually there's other options? Because it sort of shocked me a little bit. And I, you know, being part of the board of directors of North Star, I've sort of heard it all. And this was sort of like, wait a minute, like <laughs> you're not aware that people are actually making this work in mixed orientation marriages and, and they're thriving. Like, and so I wonder if, it, does there need to be more awareness as far as that there's more than just one or two options? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that being aware that there are multiple options and life paths is really liberating for people, for the people at the crossroads, right? Mm-hmm. Cause it feels so high stakes to say either I'm going to leave the faith that I love and all the people that I love and my eternal salvation for this, this possibility of a relationship, or I'm going to keep all of this and be miserable and never have companionship and all of these things. I, I think people tend to dichotomize and really, um, make it the worst case scenario. And so having different options gives people some space to figure things out. Uh, Some of the feedback I've gotten from people who have taken the survey has been like, you don't have my option. I'm actually in a heterosexual relationship where both people are only same-sex attracted, um, or I'm in a polyamorous same-sex relationship which I I can rewind on that first one. No, no, I've got it. (laughs) That's just... Yeah, but people are saying it's what's been a, really cool has been to hear so many people saying, look at me, like I'm also doing this. and I'm doing this in a way that you're not catching or categorizing. And from that, I'm really understanding that peop- a lot of people have found really idiosyncratic ways to make their lives work that don't fit in any of these boxes. Hmm. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like if you're say there's a bishop in, uh, you know, Oklahoma or maybe more, you know, liberal area, like in California that they have people come, but they like an individual, they just don't interact with people who are in that, um, you know, mixed Mm -hmm. orientation marriage. So they don't, they don't have that possibility in their mind. They just think, well, this is just where I'm headed. So I might as well just, I'm just out. Is there anything that leaders or those could do to help show, you know, actually there's many options. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think talking with the, the congregants, the ward members, and being able to share that there are different pathways and encouraging them to try them out. I can send copies of our studies. I, I, we don't have anything that's like really ready for mass consumption outside of academic audiences, maybe one day. Um, but I, I think what I would, would, want, would hope that a leader in that situation would do would be to say, look, you're at a really big, you've got a really big decision to make and you need to get the most information about yourself that you can. And so it's probably worthwhile for you to understand where you sit in each of these four options. How appealing does it sound? Can it work for you so that you know, at least if you're what, that what you're giving up is worth giving it up because for LGBTQ Mormons, it's, it's all about giving things up and going toward things that feel more important. I once heard uh, Randall Thacker, one, a past president of Affirmation, talk about being an LGBTQ Mormon as living intention and always just residing in this, like, I, I'm at a space that I like, but there's some difficulty and sadness and uh, some joy in what I've done. Hmm. One thing that this conversation has been really interesting to me on, in a number of ways, but when we've talked about the, um, I'm going to describe it poorly, but the mixed uh, attraction marriages. Mm-hmm. That's not the official term. But Kurt, you kind of alluded to that a second ago with your work for affirmation. Because I mean, we see, like I bring up Josh Weed because he was the most- North Star. Work for North Star. Sorry, North Star. What did yeah. I say? Affirmation, which we uh, love affirmation, but sure we're North do. Star. Sure you do, Kurt. <laughs> so, anyway, but sorry, North Star. 
But you seem to allude to the fact that you've seen a lot of this where it's working. And I feel like that that one in particular seems so peculiar, I think, to a lot of Latter-day Saints. They say, like, I, like you get the poll, like we've talked about, like this could be a gay man who is saying the a celestial marriage is super, super important to me, and this is the vehicle through which I can still have that, and we'll figure out a way to make it work. And, and I think it's easy to look at that with a lot of cynicism, um, and especially after, like, the weeds, for example, eventually split up, and a lot of people said... I, I, you know, people just kind of glibly said like, well, yeah, like we knew this was coming. <laughs> and, and even like we shared the one I mentioned earlier, we shared a new article about it a couple of days ago on the This Week in Mormons Facebook page. And the reactions were pretty much the same thing. They're just like, that's doomed. You know, that's not going to go anywhere. And Kurt, I thought it was very interesting that you sort of seem to allude to the fact that there's more evidence of that actually working. And, and Tyler, I like that you're, you're essentially saying, you know, you're not judging any of these four options. Like that's a legitimate option yeah. that if it works for some people, it works for some people. And we're not in a place to pick it apart and assume it's going to fail because one party is denying oneself natural urges essentially yeah. in order to get there. Well, and, and I definitely wouldn't say if we took a census of every, you know, individual LGBTQ individual, we'd find the majority of them are that it's working in, in, in a mixed orientation marriage, but going, being, um, exposed to North Star as an organization, going to their conferences. Like there are so many examples. And a lot of times like the, the media or secular media will pick up on, you know, a, a Josh Weed right. experience and they'll be like, wow, look at this unicorn. We found a unicorn. Well, it's not, he's not a unicorn. Like it does happen very, very, very often. And there's many experiences. And I've talked with individuals who uh, are maybe older and they, they aren't, out or open about it, but they said, yeah, you know, I've been making this, this marriage is with my wife has been working for 40 plus years or, you know, and it's great, you know? And so, um, and that's the, the thing is that we, when we categorize it or when we think it's a unit, they're unicorn experiences that it, there's really so many more examples. And, and hopefully that gives hope to individuals who truly want to find a place in the church in, in covenants and, and so forth. But yeah, yeah I think, one of the things I've had to wrestle with is that I've lived most of the four options. And so if I say that one is the best, then I have to say that I was doing the wrong thing for part of my life. And I, I maybe I'm just really stubborn and I'm not willing to say <laughs> that. Uh, when I came out, my mom uh, was like, but Tyler, you've always been happy. Like, <laughs> how is it that you're not happy with where you're at? And I think my truth has been that I've been happy in each of these options. And so Another lens is that people in mixed orientation relationships, for example, may be happy in the moment and that that means that it can be a viable option for them for where they're at in the same way that any of the other options could be regardless of where it leads to with obvious consent and sharing with partner. I 100% believe you, you have a responsibility to share with your partner. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Did you find within the four options within the LDS community... Uh, I don't know how to quantify this exactly, but like, were there success or failure rates, like ones that did stick out more or less or what's working yeah, more and what isn't based on that's the That's why the longitudinal study, because we didn't really look at, we didn't even try because... Come on, Tyler. I know. Uh, if we had tried... <laughs> you got to want it, man. <laughs> so what happens when people try without doing longitudinal data is they ask people, have you ever been in one? And then did it work? And so what you, it gets skewed to everyone who's not in a mixed orientation relationship anymore saying, yeah, I've been there, done that, it didn't work. And so I really want to see, starting from now, like in 10 years, how many of these will work or won't work, rather than all the people who are really upset that it didn't work coming and saying, like, look, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work. Yeah, I think that'll be fascinating data. I mean, if 10 years from now, you're even able to say something like, you know, 63% of mixed yeah. orientation marriages actually have succeeded so far, out of, which is, that's yeah, a big data be point because we don't have that right now. Compared to same-sex relationships, just ask the same thing um, and just see, because marriages fail, like, and relationships fail. That's one of the, almost the truisms of relationships. Most or many are not going to succeed. So I don't, also know that we need to be particularly critical of mixed orientation relationships. Um, well, I think we're in our, uh, our final moments here, but Tyler, do you like, what advice do you have that we haven't discussed, if any, especially for Latter-day Saints who are trying to find uh, their way? It's clear you're not advocating for one position or the other, what, you know, as far as relationship with the church and how much one embraces one's sexuality, but, but 
yeah. what do you, what other advice do you have or what do you want to say that perhaps we haven't said so far? Yeah, a few things. I think that there are some very clear things that are quote unquote right things to do. And these are things like finding connection, intimacy and mutual understanding. There are things like being open to yourself and trusted others about what you're experiencing. And uh, things like being honest about what you're feeling and find, finding ways to address those feelings. I think this kind of authenticity and connection really spans people who are happy and satisfied in each of the options. And it can be a really scary thing for people to do, especially as they're just navigating this, because it's going to mean sharing about sexuality or gender. But I, I, think, I think you have to in order to feel satisfied. And then for the people supporting them, to, I would really encourage them to give lots of space. Uh, we, speaking for everyone like me, I had no a lot of messages from all sides. And so it's really refreshing when people don't seem invested in the particular life choice that we make. I, I like to tell my clients that you need someone that's on team you. So for me, team Tyler. And it just says, all that I want is for you to be happy. I'm not invested in which path you take. I think that's important to have that kind of unequivocal support. And then the last thing I would say is that if you are LGBTQ Mormon or have been Mormon, go take our survey at www.number4optionssurvey.com and share it with the people you know. Do that. Kurt, you could plug stuff right now too if you want. Oh, good. All right. You promised you would earlier. Well, we'll definitely be highlighting this uh, study and the good work you're doing during the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, which begins September 8th. And uh, the, the purpose of this is to help leaders, Latter-day Saint leaders, be better prepared to minister to LGBTQ uh, Latter-day Saints, uh, like whether, and that doesn't mean they're in the church or they're, they're on the rolls or not. Uh, like Tyler said, he identifies as a, as a Mormon and, and we, we want him to keep doing that. And so that begins September 8th. You can see all the details at leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. And you can get this podcast at thisweekinmormons.com, folks. Leave a comment, join us on social media, you know, all that good stuff. Leave a review if you like what we're doing. We'd appreciate that wherever you get your podcast. Kurt, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Tyler Lefevre. I keep wanting to call you Lefevre. I'm sorry. Cut, so I have to like, let's tell you how you told me. It's, it's like the fever. Tyler Lefevre, uh, assistant professor of psychology at Utah State University, doing some terrific and important work on understanding the intersections of religion, sexuality, and health. Uh, we really thank you for taking the time to join us this week. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, come back anytime. Everybody, we'll talk to you soon. For everybody else, I'm Jeff. Be well, be holy, be happy.